years ago, um, oh sorry, just to say, if you're a guest, we're in the middle of a series on our statement of faith, we're talking about the church, we have been for a few months, and I'm going to be preaching on the church again this morning, a different aspect. I don't know if you remember when we kicked off in September, a long time ago, but I said that when we talk about the church, it's like looking at a diamond, we can look at it in different ways, and each way is equally beautiful and exciting, um, and that's what we've been doing, and that's what we're going to do again this morning. A few years ago, I heard a phrase that I'd not heard before, and I started to pique my interest. Um, and somebody said to me, oh, I love this church because it's a hospital church. Okay? Pique my interest. What is a hospital church? And then I hear people saying, oh, I love this church because it's so pastoral. And, yeah, that piques my interest. And this morning, what I'm going to be asking the question is, is the church a hospital or an army? What are we? What are we meant to be? And as I thought that through, and I started thinking about this morning, I, I want to tell you a little bit more about my story. Now, I don't tell my story, or we don't tell our stories when we're preaching for sympathy. What we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do this morning is to say to you, do you know what, I've been through some of this stuff. I can identify with it. And I'm hoping that as I tell my story, you identify with it and go, oh yeah, that's like this. I've gone through something similar, or something like something happened and it, it made me feel the same things. And the reason we do that is not to stir things, but to actually say, do you know what, God's bigger than it all, greater than it all, we've already sung it. That we come out the other side of it stronger and fitter, and we are uh, more on the front foot than we ever have been. We're not telling stories simply to kind of fill the time, it's to try and illustrate the truth that God's put in our lives. All of us carry burdens. All of us carry baggage from the past. Some of it is still live with us. Some of it's been set free, we've been set free from a long time ago, but nonetheless, the scars are there. No one is a superhero, not even Roger who we appreciate very much. Nobody's a superhero. We're all in the same boat of life, struggling with things. Your struggles are different from my struggles. And you should thank God that your struggles are not like mine. Okay? We all have our struggles. We all have our ups and downs. We support each other as we go through them. We care for each other. There's no arrogance in the stories. There's no, there's no sense of I'm better than you are. I'm more superior. No, no, we're all walking this life together. About 12, no, 15 years ago, I started a business and it got quite successful. It was a, a retail business, retailing Christian books at events, doing some publishing, selling rights around the world. It had lots of reasons for the business. One of the reasons was I wanted to employ um, refugees for the, who had never worked in the UK, had lived here for a few years and wanted a CV and needed a CV. They could work for me for six months, they would get a CV and then they'd move on to whatever it is they wanted to do. If you're a refugee, getting a job in the UK is not easy. I wanted to help people who had mental health issues and couldn't work. And I wanted to give them a role that they could do without the pressure of 
their mental health collapsing in on them. I had a friend who had to go to prison. And when he came out, he obviously couldn't get work. I wanted to give him work. I wanted to give him some value as he came out after prison. Nobody would employ him because of what he'd done. But overall, really, what I wanted to do is to create money, profit, to plough into, into, into residential homes to house asylum seekers. People who came to the UK with nothing, absolutely nothing, couldn't, the housing they were getting was awful in Teesside, and we wanted to create money so we could plough it into housing so that people could be housed and fed. That's what we were trying to do. And selling books and music, which is something I'd done for years, was the easy way of doing it. And it went bust. I made a bad business decision, and it went bust. And I have to tell you that I went through six months of intense pain and anger. Walking into the house and telling Lorraine that um, the business had gone, our house might have to go. That's hard work. I was an elder in the church. And I had to stand down because I'd gone bust. I'd made some bad decisions. Even worse, the man who owned the property that we were in was the head of the local mosque. My witness had gone out the window. I couldn't pay him. People who I counted as friends suddenly stopped calling. People who I depended on for my, my friendship, my security, and all sorts of things, all the things that we have friends for, seemed to fall out of the window. I lost a stack of money. We lost our church. I couldn't go to the church anymore. Because I was so angry inside of what had happened. And it was, it was so painful. And I was lashing out. I was, the frustration was boiling over. I knew that I was not pleasant company. I knew that people really didn't want to spend time with me anymore. I didn't want to spend time with me anymore. It was intense. It was awful, but what was the worst thing is, the worst of all, when you put all that to one side, the worst of all is I'd fallen out with God. And I was angry and bitter at God. And I stopped talking to him. Because he didn't really care for me. If God loved me and cared for me, he wouldn't have let that happen, would he? Have you ever used that phrase? Have you ever thought that through? Have you ever been in a situation where things are so bad that you think, if God really cared for me, if God was alive, if God really loved me, he would have sorted this out for me? We all think those thoughts. I was so angry. So angry with God. I did not want to be with these people anymore. So, for
for three months, I did absolutely nothing. I went and bought a Sunday Times, and I went to a cafe, and I had tea and coffee and cakes and bacon sandwiches. <coughs> I had a great time. At the time, I thought it was the best three months of my life. I didn't have to put up with those silly people who asked stupid questions, who irritated me. Lorraine carried on going to the church we'd been part of, but I just, I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. My kids went. I enjoyed baking sandwiches. That went on for a while. And then gradually, bit by bit, I began to hear God speaking to me. God has this irritating habit of not giving up. Don't know if you know that. I started to, and it's like, my conscience, not through the Bible, because I wasn't reading that, not through prayer, because I wasn't praying, not through my Christian friends, because I wasn't seeing them, my conscience started to get pricked. This isn't a good idea, Paul. This isn't a good idea. And bit by bit, that ice that I'd put around my heart started to melt. Slowly, very slowly, but very surely. And there came a point where I drew some breath and I said to Lorraine, I think I need to start going to a local church again. So she was a bit surprised, but that's what I started to do. I went to my local Anglican church. I had no idea what was going on. Not the faintest idea. I'd never been in an Anglican church in my life. They did things that I didn't understand. They stood up when I expect them to sit down and stand up when they sit, sit down. They knelt when they felt like it and I just didn't get it. I didn't want to sing the songs. I didn't want to say the piece that they say every, every Sunday morning. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to look somebody else in the eye. But you know, that local parish church started to speed the process of my heart melting. And they came one morning, and they, said they were having communion as they do every week, and I decided that that's something I couldn't do because actually, in terms of my relationship with God, that was a bit of a... I, I just didn't want to cross that Rubicon. I was still angry with God, and breaking bread with God meant actually I was putting up the the white flag and surrendering and saying, I want to be part of something again. And I knew that once I'd, taken, once I'd had communion, that was going to be it. The process was going to start to speed up, and I didn't want it to. But there came one Sunday morning after several months, I thought, my conscience had been pricked. God was saying to me, I still want my relationship with you. So with fear and trembling, not understanding what was going on, why was this person shoving a bit of bread in my mouth and stuff that was happening, and, but I did it. I didn't have any faith. I didn't have any sense of breakthrough, nothing spectacular happened, but it started to speed it up. And it, I said to Lorraine, I think, you know what, I think we need to start going to church together again. And about 30 miles further north in Durham, there was a church there, and we went to see the church leader, New Frontiers Church, because I... I passionately believed in what we believed in. We went to see him and his wife and we started to talk about what had happened. 
His words were, I've been waiting for you to come and see me. <laughs> and um, we spent about three years in that church, gradually, gradually hearing God, gradually that ice melting. That church for me was a healing place. It was a hospital for me right, right then. It helped me deal with my anger, my frustration, the bitternesses. It helped me to repent, because I needed to repent. I needed to put my life back on track, and I needed a community of people that would help me do that. I needed people who would love me and care for me, even when I used some of the words that we would not use on a Sunday morning. Okay? Because that anger was still there. Gradually, I began to realize that actually God still loved me and he still cared for me. Gradually, my life was put back on track. I felt supported. I felt loved. I felt I was in the right place for me. It was a, for me, at that right at the moment, it was a hospital for me right there. Welcome back, guys. The subtlety of it all is wonderful. Slowly... I began to let God deal with the things that I need, needed dealing with. I remember one first Sunday morning after a year, after this was probably about 18 months into the, while we were at that church, suddenly feeling, actually, you know what, I had a, something to contribute in the morning, a spiritual gift. The things I'd been using regularly suddenly started to come back to life again. One of the big issues for me was to learning to put to death the issues, sorry, the promises that I felt God had put in my life. As far as I was concerned, it could never be resurrected. The story of Joseph was really important to me, trapped in a prison. Having God starting to speak to him and nobody listening, waiting for somebody to come and turn the key. And one day, for me, that key turned. Somebody came and put the key in the lock and turned it. And suddenly, that anger had gone. I looked back and I thought, where has that gone? Where's it gone? Where's that frustration? Where's the bitterness? Where's the, just the sense of loss? Where did it all, where did it all gone? And here we are now. Another 12 years on. God's still in my life, still speaking to me. In my situation, it looked like the end had come. I want to tell you that your situation might look like the end has come. But that's not true. That's just not true. And so, the question, are we a hospital or an army? Well, for me, that church, Emmanuel, was a hospital. But it wasn't a hospital for everybody. You might be here this morning. I want to tell you, if you are struggling with life, Kings should be a place of rest and recuperation in the hospital for you right now. And if it's not, let's learn how we can do it together. Why do I know that? Well, I serve a God whose name is Healer. His name is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. 
And if God is the God who heals, then we should be the people of God who also heal. We should be the place of healing and restoration for people. A place they can come and rest and find peace for their souls. A place where those who are sick, like we just prayed for Terry, those who are sick, we can say, let's pray for you. Let's get some faith and pray for healing. Those who are struggling emotionally can rest and find peace. Those who are struggling with mental issues. Our pain becomes his pain. He takes it for us. That's what it says in Isaiah. He says that through his stripes we are healed. Through his death we have healing. Secondly, as it says in Luke 4.18, as we've already heard from Isaiah, Jesus, his earthly manifesto says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Does that cover you? And then in verse 21, what does Jesus say? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. As of that point, Jesus is our healing. And we are the people of Jesus. We are Christians, little Christians, little Jesuses. We have the same manifesto. We have the same ability to be able to pray for the sick. Open blind eyes, liberty to the captives. Working for the oppressed. Where we are should be the day of the Lord's favour in people's lives. And then in Matthew he says, Jesus says, Come to me all you who labour and are a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But it's not a hospital for everybody. If it were, this would be an awful place. We'd have to have administrators and managers, wouldn't we? We'd have to have charge nurses and all sorts of things going on. Listen, this is, I don't want Kings to be just a hospital church. Pastoral is lovely and it makes me feel so comfortable. And actually, I'd, do you know what? I don't want to get out of my bed and get on with things because actually Roger's stroking my ego and it's lovely. Roger, it's so lovely. He's not here to defend, but I know Cheryl will tell him. I think Roger is one of the most pastoral people I know. The problem with that is they can get comfortable and enjoy it. We all get hurt, we all get damaged, we all get injured. We do need to take time to be restored and healed. But if we're not careful, it becomes very passive. Where we endlessly explore the past. And I and others like me try to deal with issues that God's not even raised in your life because actually it makes me feel better. Nothing wrong with being pastoral. Nothing wrong with being healed. It's important work. 
But actually, we're told in Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood. We're all in a battle. Even in the time of my deepest issues, when I felt so far away from God, there was a battle going on. There's a battle. And whether I liked it or not, whether I felt like it or not, whether I believed it or not, I was in that battle. And I was getting injured. I was getting damaged. And the longer the battle went on, the more damaged I was becoming. Because in Ephesians 4, it says that we are... Uh, no, I'll come back to Ephesians 4 in a moment, sorry. So we're in this battle. We're not, I'm not in a battle against Brenton. Because I'd lose, because he's bigger than me. I'm not in a battle against Dave, because he's smaller than me. I might win. Listen, I'm not in a battle against those people who I was struggling with. There's a battle going on in the heavenlies over you right now. A spiritual battle. Principalities and powers fighting it out. Okay? Now we know who's going to win. The Bible tells us. But there's a battle for you. There's a battle to take you off the front line of what God wants you to do and put you into recovery mode. There's a battle to stop you from moving forward in God to make you become as passive as he possibly can make you. There's a battle. And we are part of that battle, and I have some decisions to make. You have decisions to make. So, the problem is, as soon as you become a Christian, you are in the battle. The first moment you said yes to Jesus, whatever that form that took, you were in the battle. The aim of the battle is destruction in our lives. And so, we together must be an army of God as well at the same time. Paul talks about putting on the whole armour of God. Why does he tell us we've got to put the whole armour of God on? Well, because he knows we're in a battle. We need the word of God. We need to pray. We need the gospel of truth. We need all the things that are in that list of, wonderful list of armours. We, we need them all. I need you to help me put them on. I need you to help me fight my battle. And I need to help you fight your battle. For some of us, it's the battle in the mind. What we think, our attitudes. Some of us, it's in our body, our habits, our addictions. Some of it's our health. We have to battle our health. Satan doesn't look at you and think, well, this is, a little, this, this is off limits in the battle. He's not interested. Satan is out to destroy us. Everything is on the table. Our, everything about us is in the battle. And we need to dress ourselves properly for that fight. And part of it is healing. Part of it is bringing people in and giving them time. Part of it is going through some stuff. Part of it is, part of it is letting that ice melt Part of it is bringing up the promises of God in people's lives and reminding them. 
of what God said about them. Part of it is getting onto the front foot. Being in the hospital means when I'm in recovery mode, when, when we were in Emmanuel in Durham, part of the reason we were there is not that I live in that place, but that I can get out there and do the job that God's called me to do. Even when I'm still sick. Even when I'm still struggling with some of the things I struggle with. It's being released to move forward together. I'm very interested in Roman history. And particularly the Roman army. And reading about how they would... When the cavalry... The worst thing that could happen for them was cavalry coming. Not cavalry. Cavalry. And these big horses with spears and all the rest of it. And the only way they could protect themselves together was to join their swords together with their spears poking out so that the horses couldn't get in. Hundred men in a big square, tight together, packed. Spear, um, shields on top, shields on the side. We're like that. That's why I need you. I can't fight the battle by myself. You can't fight the battle by yourself. I can't wait for you to become perfect. I can't wait, you can't wait for me to become perfect. You'll be waiting a long time. And we stand with people who are injured in the middle of that melee. It didn't stop people getting speared. It didn't stop them. I've got kids in now, so it didn't stop things happening. But what they would do is they would draw the soldier into the middle to protect and care. That's what we're about. We're in the middle of the fight. Oh, and I want you to be healed, restored. But I also want you standing next to me. I want you to be my back. Not my backstabber. I want you to be my back protector. I want you to be the person that is protecting what's, what's been said about me and what's not been said. I want you to protect me. You know, I've talked about my relationship with Dave in the past. But there are times when Dave says, I don't think you should have said that. No, no, you're right. I shouldn't have done that. I said it anyway. I repent. Sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Looking out for each other's interests. Let's close with the verse that we didn't read as part of our declaration. Hebrews 10, verse 25. Well, let's read that passage again because it's such a, such a good passage. Because this spoke into, in the end, this sort of Bible verse spoke into my anger and everything else that had happened. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, you have confidence to do that. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest of the, blood, uh, of the house of God, let us draw near with true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is 
faithful. When God brought you into his kingdom, he had every intention of you seeing it to the end. Every intention. Let us consider how to stir each other with love and good works. This is what we didn't read. Let us learn how to stir each other with love and good words. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the the day drawing near. Listen, guys. We need to be people who provoke and spur. Comforting. In the old English sense, you've probably heard it before, but King Harold and the Bayer Tapestry. King Harold is behind his men with a big sword. And he's doing this. Get out there. And it says above it, King Harold comforts his troops. It means, get on with it. Sometimes we need to chastise each other or discipline each other. There's nothing wrong with that. We're all in the same boat, learning together. We need to stand with the people that need them to stand with. Those people who are hurting, that right now need us to be that hospital for them. But we also need to be on the front foot, moving forward. Mm -hmm.